0: Terry, yes, sir. that was good. Hey, I was thinking about you when we were talking, and um, you can just stand with me for a minute if you want to. You in a hurry? No. Because w- your son's Ben, right? That's what I thought. And so, um, I'm teasing. I, I was just thinking, you know, this Colossians 124, it's not a verse, and it's not a story for a church at Colossae. I mean, he says, Paul writes, and it says, I'm filling up in my afflictions um, the fullness of what Christ has already done on the cross. And, and I was just... I don't think I'm going to make you talk, but I was just singing that song about forever rain and run into your arms, and I started just praying for Ben, and I, I was just thinking, you know, they're there doing what that verse talks about. They're filling up in the most afflicted place, Clarkston, Georgia, a place they're living in refugee um, housing, and they're standing in the middle of affliction, lifting high the cross. And, and I was stopping and thinking this week, I was reading um, about the four men and the wounded guy, which would be Ben. And I was wondering if the church actually believes that we fill up in the afflictions what Christ has already done at the cross. Because I love that verse. And it's a verse that's a bit of a sweet mystery to me. And I think you can hear theologians and I can probably join in the conversation and say this is what Jesus meant. But I don't think we fully understand what he meant when he looked and said to the guy, they tore the roof off, you know, and they took them and lowered him down. And then Jesus looked up and he said some profound word. And he said, your friend's faith has made you whole. And I don't fully get all the theology of that, but I wonder if when we prayed for Ben as a church, did we actually believe that he would be running one minute later? And I don't want to get all weird on you, but I think Jesus is weird in the book of Acts through the church and some really weird things happening. So I just want to talk about your kid and just think, wonder, would you stop crying? You're messing me up. You can go down now because I'll cry with you. But I I was just wondering if we believe this is more than a Bible study, that we're going to talk for the next 15, 20 minutes about... A Bible verse or two, we're going to actually just read the last verse, verse 25, before we walk out today. But I wonder if we'll think that verse 24 is real. Like, do we really believe that if Ben and Holly and Bryce are filling up in the afflictions of an inner city, in the middle of an apartment complex that's filled with refugees, where they're speaking into their lives literally in languages they don't understand... I wonder if we believe that our faith and our prayer and when one of them is injured, our prayer can literally move the Holy Spirit in such a prolific way that healing occurs. I don't want to be a part of Bible study. I want to be a part of a group of people who believe that Jesus is the author and the perfecter and the maker of the word. And the word is flesh and dwells among us. And the word of God is living among us and he breathes his life through us. And I don't, I don't fully get that, but I appreciate that, that as the church of Jesus Christ, God comes and lives through us. And has chosen in all of our brokenness and our mosaic of desperation for his grace. Has chosen to reflect his majesty through us as the church. And to just live this out day in and day out. What a great privilege. And I want to I read verse 24 and finish the stories I started last week. Isn't... Isn't that the best part about meeting together every week? You just kind of keep the conversation going. In Colossians 1, verse 24, Paul's writing, and and as we shared last week, it's a kind of a theological tease. I don't fully get it, and neither will you. And, and, And yet the Holy Spirit will help us understand this when he says, I rejoice in what was suffered for you. And Paul says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. And I do that for the sake of his body, the church. And then he goes on, and I'll read verse 25, and I'm just going to end by reading this again. So I have become its servant, it being the church, by the commission that God gave me, and here's the commission, to present you the word of God in its fullness. And so that's just a great commission that we won't even touch this week other than saying, you should probably come back next weekend as we talk about this in light of, and this, that wasn't a proposal that you should come hear me, that was a proposal you should come like say, God, What commission are you laying on my heart that needs to be advanced for the sake of the gospel? Because as I read verse 24, I I share with you, there are two stories that grab my heart. One was kind of a modern story. You heard it last week. Agnes, who just looked and said, I have three pennies and I want to launch an orphanage. And someone looked at her and said, three pennies are worthless. And she said, no, three pennies and God, you can do great things. And in 1979, Agnes, who lived, according to Monty Poole, To be 87 years old, otherwise known as Mother Teresa, received the Nobel Prize in 1979 with three pennies and a whole lot of God, truly turned the world upside down. And I think that we're just kind of sitting in and saying, look, what would that look like for us to understand this verse in light of maybe a biblical character that I want to talk about in a minute and to have the heartbeat of that character of of, of, there are lots of Agneses in this room who are just wrestling around and saying, God, I understand what you seem to be saying in this verse. A, that we add nothing to the cross. That the cross is more than enough. But that B, somehow in the middle of us embracing the cross and staking our lives at the cross and being passionate for the cross, that we get to step into the hardest places with the cross. And we bear up what Jesus has already borne up permanently and eternally we bear that up with one another and we go in saying here comes jesus here we come we're bringing him with us that thrills me to be able to say god you're going to use us as a church to bear up your afflictions for the sake of the gospel for the sake of the goodness of who jesus christ is and look if you're feeling a little bit hesitant about that or a little bit wary all you need is three pennies and jesus And it's kind of exciting. This isn't a pull up your bootstraps and do better sermon. This isn't a you go out and carry your cross and you're going to do well. This is I am utterly reliant upon you, God. I have been, to go with the earlier verses, I have been completely slain by the power of the cross, God. I have been fully justified and redeemed in and through the cross, God. And so here I come with all of that and I come with great joy. And God, because of who I am in you, I come with, with great humility and privilege. If if you've read any about Mother Teresa, and we can rattle around and hear about our nuances and difference theologically, and it's not worth our conversation right now. But if you've read anything about her, she didn't have a bootstrapped conversation of, I'm going to go to Calcutta, and I'm going to change the world. And in fact, if you read some of her writings, in the middle of all that, there was great doubt. There was great questions. There was great wonderings. There was great there was there was you read memoirs, there was great doubt, great lack of of understanding the circumstances and situations. There were great theological conversations that went with God as she lived in the middle of the hardest hit places and in the midst of all of these questions and doubt what was there and what remained and what was driving her was exactly what drives us in verse 24 what drove Paul to write this and it is conviction and truth in the middle of doubts in the middle of walking through a life that is filled with shatters and and, and hurt and pain, there was great conviction and truth. And I can submit to you that what did not drive her was an emotional moment to say Calcutta could be better or an orphanage could be better if I would just go plant that. I feel happy about that. We just sang a few songs. That, that's not what shaped her life for the entirety of her life. It was a conviction and a truth around a gospel and a hope that there was a call to go and flesh out The afflictions in the middle of hurting places of the glory and the wonder of God. And conviction and truth truly shaped what she was about. And I would suggest to you that if you're going to make a decision about where you're going to invest your life based on emotions, it will last for a very short time. But if you will wrestle your life down and say, God, according to your word and my conviction around your word and who you are, and more importantly, who I am in you, Father God, I am convicted and I am passionate about this. I am going to be defined by you and I want my life to be a life of character that ebbs out who you are. I wrote this in your notes and this is by no means mine and I can't remember who the originator was, but character, the pillars of character, by the way, are conviction and truth. And character is being defined by God. And maybe I should read it because I just butchered it. Character is the willingness to be defined by God. What is it? You have it in your notes. Yeah, character is the willingness to be whatever it is. I am killing it. Just read it in your notes and it's awesome. Character is the willingness to do what is right as defined by God. And here's the statement. This is awesome. You ready? Regardless the personal cost. It's a willingness to stand in and say, okay, this, isn't, this is conviction here. Character is the willingness to do what is right as defined by God. And it's not about what it's going to cost me because I'm going to tell you, if we will live our lives according to Colossians 124, and we will begin to say, God, I'm going to speak to you until I understand what my Calcutta is, what you have uniquely formed and called me to do, and I'm going to go invest there, and I'm going to invest there, and I'm going to invest there, and it's, it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me time, energy, provision. But but here's what I understand, Jesus. I understand what the gospel has done for me. And I understand what the cross has done for me. And so it is a great privilege to be able to take up my cross, follow you, Jesus. And as I take up my cross and follow you, to walk that in to places of afflictions and lift high the banner of Jesus Christ. And as the scripture says, if we'll lift up Jesus Christ, he will draw men, women, and children to himself. And so it's just this, it's just this passion. It's not a verse to say, look, I, I'm really going to, I'm going to be all I can be. If that's all we're shooting for here, then, then we're, we're wasting our time because be all I can be will not work. In fact, we need to be who we are not and left to our own devices we'll never become apart from the living God so when we start to say, I've got this, man, this deal this burning in my core. This is a conviction in my heart. It's probably going to land over your head, out of your capacity. Something that only God can do. And maybe even equally as importantly, as Paul wrote to the church, something you can't do by yourself either. And that gets to be quite exciting as you look around the room and start to think, who is going to journey with me as we live out in afflicted places the power of the cross? Who is going to partner with me as we step into some of these incredibly challenged places and we live for the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Who who in this room is going with me? And how and this is where it gets to be super exciting, how is the Holy Spirit, who by the way, has not surprisingly put you here, who has sovereignly placed you here for such a time as this, in this season of life, exactly where you were, located in this city, and for most of us in this room, partnered with this church. So there's likely going to be some things that happen among this body that are going to be beautiful, powerful, gospel-centered, Christ-resurrecting, Christ-raising, and the cross-beautiful that will happen among us. so we're going to flesh out Colossians 20, 1, together when it says, I'm going to rejoice in what was suffered for you. And I'm going to fill up what is still lacking in regard to those afflictions. And I'm going to do this for this sake. It's for the body of Jesus Christ. This, is why this isn't a mystery or a great moment, I'm saying, or an epiphany. It's for the church. And the church is going to get together and they're going to do great things. And we're going to do things that left to our own devices, we'll never pull off. But with the character of God and the conviction and the truth of Jesus Christ pulsating through the heart of the church, God moves in spirit and power. And so it really just the first thought of filling up an afflictions what God has called us to do as a church, is to be able to say, God, we want to do some things that are not self-defined, that are not, gonna, that we want to do some things that show that we are defined by the cross. Isn't that the whole point of The 23 verses prior to this is to say a people who are going to flesh out in the greatest afflicted places the cross of Jesus Christ or a people who, by the way, read the first 23 verses. They understand they're justified. They understand the power of redemption. They understand the power of the cross. They understand, they understand, get this, get this, get this. They understand what it means when they have the darts thrown at them of condemnation and they have the darts thrown at them that would strip them of who they are. They're not worried about the lies of the evil one or the pervasive untruths that have been spoken into their lives. They are worried about the truth as defined by the holy God through Jesus Christ as he reconciled him to himself and they see we just believe that with all of who we are and we move forward as a people defined with character not being something that we say are seven pillars of a school character is better than that it is Christ in you the hope of glory and Christ living through you and us being defined by him and saying God we are willing to do what is right as defined by who you are regardless of what it cost us and we're convicted about this and God show us our Calcutta show us where you want us to pour out our lives For the sake of your glory, because we're convicted about that. There's a great biblical story that I love. Um, It's just a bit of history about it. In 586, King Nebuchadnezzar raided Judah. Most of you know this story, so I'm not going to tell you an unfamiliar story. I just think to understand this is to understand Agnes. And to maybe understand a guy named Nehemiah, just to say, so what does this verse mean? I think that hopefully by the time we walk out today, you'll have some things to think about. What, is, what does this verse mean to us, this Colossians one twenty four To be able to say, God, we see you for your mysterious wonder and your majesty. And we want to lift up all of who you are with all of who we are. God, we see you for that. And so in 586, Nebuchadnezzar had invaded Ju- Judah, captured Jerusalem. Survivors went to the Babylonian exile. I mean, it's a wonderfully painful story. Fifty years later, there was a Jew named Zerubbabel who came in, led the remnant back. They rebuilt In this moment in Nehemiah 1, they had rebuilt the temple. And then here we are, what year was it? It was um, right around 445 B.C. when Nehemiah 1 was written because Jerusalem had rebuilt the temple and they were worshiping. But the walls which would protect them, which has great spiritual inclination and meaning behind that, the walls that protect them were were not in place. And so here's, here's Nehemiah fleshing out Colossians 124. If you're wondering from a biblical worldview, what does it look like when when there are afflictions and we carry the cross in the midst of them, just look at Nehemiah. In Nehemiah 1, 1 through 4, you see an initial response because all he's doing is strolling along like you and I are. We're just in here worshiping today. We're doing what we do most every Sunday. We're just coming in to meet Christ. We have been meeting with him and worshiping him all week. We're just rolling in now to do this. He's just going about his everyday business. Some friends come in who are fellow followers of Yahweh, And he asked them just a simple question that completely changed his life. Because he said, look, how's it going back there? And their answer just shattered him. Their answer was just this. "Look, the temple's built, there are people that are back, we're worshiping, but we are just wide open and vulnerable. And he's like, are you kidding me? And his immediate response, his immediate response is so powerful. It's a response of prayer. And he says, look, I, I am just passionate for this. I want to be able to move with this. And, and what you have to understand is, is as he is moving in passion and his heart is moving toward what he just heard and he starts to sense, God, you know, lead me to pray about this. God begins to say kind of a similar to a Moses experience. And I'm not asking you to pray about this. I'm asking you to go do this. And, he, and here's, here's what You should understand. You should understand. Here's Nehemiah's job. I don't fully understand the nuances of this job, but he's a cupbearer. As best I can guess, cupbearers don't build things. As best I can guess, he's kind of working in the White House. It's a little bit of a plush job. He is a servant, but he's way up there in the serving world. And he is looking into this endeavor and some people come along and all of a sudden he's been walking with God, get this part, he's in love with God, he wants God's glory, he's in the midst of a worship encounter, here come some brothers to talk to him, they have this conversation and the next thing you know, he is clearly identifying his Calcutta. And he's looking at that and he's filtering it through the lens of, I have zero life experience in building. And I don't even see him weigh that out. He's just looking and going, God, if this is your call, if this is what you're about, you'll call me, you'll equip me, you will bring me. So Lord, I am going to wrestle this thing to the ground. I'm going to pray this out and I want to be passionate about this. And I, I love chapter two, verse four, which is really my second point, And I'll go ahead and make it right now because I think we should ask this. The king looked at Nehemiah and I, he asked this question. That's a question that every one of us ought to be able to answer when the spirit of God has spoken to us. He looked at him and asked a very simple question. Nehemiah, what is it that you want? It's a question that most of us have neither asked nor answered before our living God. Nehemiah was rapid with his answer in this moment because A, he had been walking with God for an extraordinary season of life and B, he was clearly called by God for a deal and I'm wondering if this this is going on with us, if we will do one of two things. One, worship God with our heart and soul, mind and strength and then two, when God speaks, if we will act. So that when he says, what is it that you want? You hear words like this, words like this that flow from his tongue. He said, I have prayed to the God of heaven and I am answering you, the king. If it pleases the king, here's what I want. If your servant has found favor in your sight, let him send to the city of Judah. Send me away where my fathers are buried because I have a job to do and I'm going to rebuild this. So what do you want? I think conviction and truth are one thing that's profound, and it's the pillar of our character's essence of who we are, but there's a secondary level that we've got to be passionate about to be able to say, God, there is a compelling clarity to my life. I mean, my life is is passionate for the things of God, and and I can tell you, I can tell you, and, and some of us are going to have to be a little bit vague with this at this moment because we can't fully answer what we want at this point. We're still wrestling out with God, but what we should be able to say is this. I want the glory of God no matter what. I want to walk in the middle of the glory of God. I have been bought with a price. I want to glorify my my God with everything that I do. Whatever I eat, drink, wherever I go, whatever I'm about, how I handle my body, God gains glory. And when it gets a little more specific than that, I will be the first one to tell you what I want. But until then, God's glory is what I want. I want want to live in the middle of a transformed community of people who are passionate about the things of God and believe that Jesus transforms. That's what I want. I want a bunch of people who are starting to identify Calcutta and pouring their life out there. You ask me what I want, cut me. That's what I want. I want to run after heaven with a group of friends. That's what I want. What do you want? And and wrestle that out and begin to say what Nehemiah said. What is it that you want? And I'll tell you, conviction and truth with compelling clarity are capturing of hearts. That was like a lot of C's, wasn't it? Sound like a preacher. Conviction and truth with compelling vision, man. They'll capture people's heart. Look, he went to the king and said, what do you want? The king said, what do you want? And he said, look, this is what I want. And then he spells it out for him. The king didn't just bless him and say, go. The king wrote him a blank check. He said, look, I am, I am convicted with you. I mean, you, what you want to be about is exciting my soul. And I want to be in this with you. And I love what he said to him. Nehemiah, what do you need? But it's not just that king. As he sent him down with the sign of the king, he said, "As he goes along the way, his conviction of his truth is so compelling that blank checks come all the way down from varying kings and leaders." As Nehemiah goes along his path, and it's look, it's just it's, that's what we call God's provision in the church. I'm going to step out. I have no ability. I've never built. I don't know how to build a wall. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm a cupbearer for heaven's sake. But I am convicted by what God is calling me to do, and so I am going to go do this. And this is what I want. I want to go and glorify God. And I think a lot of us are sitting in that scenario right now. I just jotted some notes of myself. So what do you do? Because we like the end of the story. You built the wall in 52 days. I mean, it's crazy. Re- Re-establish priorities. This is a great if you're in a Bible study or you're a pastor or you're a leader in a Christian arena. This is a great truth to remember. He reoriented how he did things in 52 days three or four times. I know in the church we don't like change, but in 52 days he found it was very operationally sound to change things four times just to see God move in such a profound way. It was powerful. Then you get to a whole secondary part where he pulled families in and said, you're going to build right beside your family because this is going to be beautiful, and that's a whole other sermon. It was was just huge. We like the end of the story, but look, you you sit and go, I'm a 1,000 miles from Jerusalem, and I'm in Babylon. And I am a cupbearer, and you're asking me what I want. And I'm sitting in Mandarin, and I don't have a clue. And and I would look at you and say, so many of us in this room don't have clarity today. So quit griping about your circumstances. Quit whining about the people around you. Quit talking about what you don't have and be the best cupbearer that you can be exactly where you are. Stand in the middle of and have integrity and character. Stand in the middle and give God glory and honor because this conviction didn't come. This moment didn't come haphazardly. It came from Nehemiah walking for many, many years, and God just saying, Look, here's this divine moment. You're going to go do something great, and some preacher 2,000 years, 3,000 years later will be talking about this. But here's what he did. He was just the best cupbearer he could be in this moment. He was just walking with God, and then all of a sudden, this, What do you want? it came into his life, and it was clear. But he, it, it didn't roll into his life because he was sitting around whining. He didn't ruin his life because he's talking about the resources he was lacking. He didn't ruin his life because his circumstances weren't good. He didn't ruin his life because he didn't have the right friends around him. He ruined his life because he knew who he was. He had character to say, I will do what is right as defined by God. I don't care what it costs me. I am God's servant. I am for his glory. And that's what I want. And then all of a sudden, next thing he knows, he's in the middle of a God story far out defined by anything he could pull off. And I think we should wrestle with that and say, God, look, I just, I just, I I, honestly, I have complained about my circumstances so much and you're asking me the middle of where I am to give glory to you. This is Colossians just asking me, whatever it is that I do, and however it is that I do it, that I give glory and honor and renown to you. Day in and day out and day in and day out. And here's the reality. For some of us, we may close our eyes and breathe our last breath as a cupbearer. But we have been the most Christ-honoring cupbearer on the planet. And for some of us, God will come and whisper in our ear and we'll build a wall. And a wall will be stories that were told. But we have honored and glorified God in every moment. And in the kingdom of God, neither story is better than the other. It is whatever you do in word and deed, do it all for the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ and bear up the afflictions in the midst of that. So what do you want? What is it compelling for you? What is it that we want to be about? I have a whole list of people and I'll, I'll share it this week. I just I think I should end here and just say, look, as a church, are we willing as a body of Christ to sit down and say, God we believe that you have called us A, sovereignly and divinely here together. B, you have called us according to your scripture to understand who we are in you and to step into the fray of life with that message. And, and we believe this, God, that we rejoice in the midst of any suffering or, or any conviction that you call us toward and we will fill up in our flesh what is lacking in regard in regard to Christ's afflictions. And we're going to do that because here's, here's what we really believe. Here's what we really believe. We believe that Paul believed in the scripture. We believe that you believe, Christ, that in the middle of the church of Jesus Christ that confesses that he is the king of glory, there is a great movement of his. And so we, we really want to be in the middle of a church who is, A, desperately hungry for Christ. And B, sitting on the edge saying, God, we're not sure what we want, but we know that we want more of you. And we want your name and your renown to be made great among us. We want what John the Baptist want. If we could decrease, but somehow as we make our way as Mandarin Baptist Church through this life, that the name of Jesus Christ is made more and more and more known. We believe that together we will hear this well done cry of the King of Glory. That's what we should. Can we join together in that desire, that conviction, that truth, that passion? Let's pray together. Father I just I don't, I don't know what to pray right now so I'm just going to tell you that you are great and that we are not that you are sovereign and you are the king of glory you are the holy and anointed one you are beautiful you are our salvation redeemer friend you are rescued And God, I pray that we will want you more than anything. God, I pray that we will want you to move and live and breathe through this church more than anything. God, I pray as a fellowship that you will be enough for us. And wherever you choose to lead us, that will be great. But God, that you will be our sufficiency. You will be what defines us. We want you. Your glory. Thank you, Christ. It just feels like a, a time where we should pray as a church and gather as a church. And so I just want to invite you to respond. We're going to sing a song that just actually talks about bowing down before the King of Glory. And so we want to, maybe some of us physically, all of us spiritually, to bow our hearts to him. If you have a decision that you want to make to maybe become a part of this fellowship and join with a group of people who are running hard after heaven, I invite you to come and talk to Dr. Davis. Come and talk to me. We'll be here at the front. If you are recognizing in this room right now that you need Jesus Christ and you want Him, this is a great moment to come and we will share with you this incredible, transforming story. Truth about Him. But some of us in this room, we simply want to come and kneel and become the best cupbearers that we can be. To Honestly, to repent of not doing that. To be broken over our our lack of conviction and our lack of passion for truth. And to just worship the King of glory. And so, uh, as we sing and worship, may we be a church that's a bowing church, spiritually, some of us physically. Uh, Would you stand with me? Would you sing with me? Can we worship together?